Hey out there, welcome to the True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. We're live in the Gronowski Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University here in Denver, Colorado. And where we uh, talk about all things alignment. All of them. Uh, and as, uh, <laughs> at, at the personal level, relationship level, and business, and uh, globally, uh, this is a conversation without boundaries on the topic of alignment, the great predictor of success. And uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna have a heck of a conversation today. Yeah, at least uh, we can tell from uh, before we hit the record button. Any any comments? Any questions? <laughs> uh, email us at info at truealignment.com. Yeah, that's the way it works, and we'll get back to you as quickly as we can. Again, that's info at truealignment.com, where you can also find out about uh, all the different things that we do. So, uh, welcome to the podcast today. We have a really special guest with us, uh, Mr. Scott Tibbetts. Scott's got an incredible background. He's a uh, serial technology entrepreneur. He's, he's founder and CEO for 35 years uh, in the aerospace industry, uh, though he's multi-talented, multi-talented. Uh, he's, um, he's a great musician. Uh, he's a great thinker. He's a futurist of, of, of sorts, always looking into the future and the possibilities. Uh, founder and CEO from uh, the late 80s into 2016 of Starsis Research, uh, corporation in Boulder, Colorado, uh, a space motor company, and the world's leading supplier of mechanical systems for spacecraft, which is a really just incredible story in of itself, and uh, grew it uh, to be a um, to 150 employees, um, 20 million dollars in in annual revenue, and uh, over 3,000 mechanisms on over 300 spacecraft. And here's the remarkable thing. 100% success, never a failure on anything that he put out into space. That includes um, parts and mechanisms on the uh, on Mars rover. Just uh, just an incredible story. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background, um, an entrepreneur of the year uh, back in 1998, um, three patents on spacecraft uh, uh, products as well as uh, 15 patents in telecom and medical uh, and just an incredible mind and th a thinker, a curiosity, and inventor. Um, he's um, well. He he started and developed Starsis Research and uh, grew that organization. Um, he's been in front of Congress uh, and um, has uh, really advocated for um, uh, funding uh, for for the space industry and for space exploration. Uh, technology partnerships and agreements in uh, leading aerospace companies in the U.S., Sweden, Germany. Um, developed a small business initiative uh, for research funding, um, w totaling over eighteen uh, $18 million dollars. And uh, and I I'll say this because I've I've known Scott for a number of years now. It's just an exceptional human being. Thank uh, you. Just uh, not just a deep thinker, a man with a big heart and. Uh, a great level of compassion and empathy for the human endeavor, as well as everything possible in our world of technology and space. So it's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Edgar. It's <laughs> something to sit back and have somebody uh, walk through all well, that. <laughs> I, I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's just a small, small piece. That's a small piece of all your accomplishments and everything that you've, that you've uh -huh. done. It, it's really great to have you yeah, here. Thank you. It's, yeah, 
appreciate the opportunity. So yeah. Scott, I have to say that, you know, I want to know, I'm trying to put the calendar in my mind together. If you were testifying at Congress, right when they cut off all the funding for the space program, but, uh, but I couldn't really get past the word serial as the first word <laughs> in the intro. <laughs> you pictured it was going a different direction, didn't you? <laughs> well, <it makes> me, <laughs> you know, that's funny with serial entrepreneur, like too early, too early for the chainsaw. And all that <laughs> Oh, I bet you you're handy with a chainsaw. Uh, not as much as you might think. Yeah. I, yeah. I have to, I have to know, Scott, what do you think of, of us reinvigorating, I mean, the globally reinvigorating oh. um, space exploration? There is so much, there's so much to that question. There's a lot. And uh, to keep it brief, uh, Thank goodness for the commercial side of things. Uh, you know, you've got Elon, you've got uh, Jeff Bezos, and you know you can picture it. You're watching Star Trek, and all of a sudden you have the money to make that stuff happen. Yeah. And uh, listen, I've you know I've got billions of dollars. Let's make this come true. And it has just lit a fire under so many different things that if it wouldn't have been for that, I think uh, the weight of NASA and government space would have sort of collapsed upon itself. Yeah, and enough. instead, it just lit a bonfire. Um, I had no idea there'd be so much going on now. That's fantastic. And, yeah. yeah. And so also with that, I know that you were just recently um, uh, named as a mentor or a distinguished fellow of some kind. I'm, I'm the, it's down in Australia. Australia's um, putting a lot into developing their space business. And they're, the U.S. is doing what we can as a partner to help them with that. And a lot of that's entrepreneurship. So I was down there uh, a couple months ago at uh, University of uh, Southern Australia, and I'm the uh, world, I guess I'm the, the world entre space entrepreneurship mentor for their cohorts. So there's a uh, half dozen space entrepreneurs that are being funded by uh, the government down there. And so I'm helping them out and saying, oh. hey, listen, don't do the, here's all the things <laughs> I did that I shouldn't have done, don't do that. <laughs> You know, don't start a war on two fronts. Uh, don't use Viton to open your covers on your spacecraft, you know, stuff like that. Shorten cycles for them. So uh, your, your, your path, because um, you also have a background in, in nuclear science and technology. Yeah. So how did you find your path to space? Um, it, it started in Madison, Wisconsin with my dad, who was a uh, professor of horticulture, but bent. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, that, that's kind of the whole point is that. You know, he's growing lettuce in fields, but wanted to get into space. So he tilted his career to become uh, the leading scientist for growing crops in space. And he was actually the first one to grow potatoes in space, which is the reason the license plate on my car is called Spudnik, ah. is in honor of uh, my dad growing potatoes in space. And that let me know that, hey, whatever you get your degree in, you know, follow your passion. It doesn't need me mean you're stuck. So graduated chemical engineering and then went to uh, Jackson Hole to be a ski instructor for a year and a half. Um, that was before they called it a gap year. <laughs> uh, back then it was, it was called a, wasting a slacker year. Wasting right. slacker. an education. Yeah, now it's now it's moments of exploration. Yeah, and yeah, and and reflection. <laughs> but for me, it was uh, you know go and ski and raise raise hell for a year and a half and. Um, then I needed to be the, near the mountains, and they were hiring at uh, Rocky Flats, which made nuclear weapons. And so I went down for five years and worked in nuclear weapons. That's we, how you found your way to Boulder. That was, that was uh, it. And okay. uh, it was amazing. I mean, amazing technology. And then uh, 
that led to wanting to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't going to wasn't going to survive in a large company. I just had too much disrespect of authority. Yeah, that's maybe not quite the right of saying it, but I, I wouldn't do well. I knew that. Well, it's a, it's a curiosity, right? I mean, I, this is what I do here inside yeah. of Regis University is I help people start businesses. And yes. You know, um, I was at a big conference in Boston earlier this year and somebody said, you know, when you are doing entrepreneurship, what's the one thing you want? You know, and I just, just unhesitant curiosity. Yeah. I, that's all I want. I want people to be curious, take something apart, see how it works. Um, right. I mean, everything is so digital and so covered up. I mean, I can open the hood on my wife's car and there's so much plastic. I can't see anything. Yeah. And so nobody asks how things work. Um, but that's what I want to know. And I, I hear that curiosity in you, Scott, like it's, and I think that's for most entrepreneurs, it's not that they can't be boxed in. It's, they can't be boxed in from asking questions. Yes. And building on what you're saying, Ken, is it's a curiosity and now, why are you doing it that way? And, and que- you know, it's a questioning Question. yeah. of, you know, what's the common? And, and not just going, well, of course, that's the way you do it. It's like you pick up a pair of glasses and you go, why would they do the hinge this way? Yeah. And it, that, that just can't let go of it, curiosity, um, then leads to, I bet there's a way to solve that problem. And then that leads to, and maybe there's a way to make money from that problem. And that's sort of the, you know, the golden it's triad that leads to starting companies. Of, and it's a different way of thinking about risk because most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, risk aversion happens so quickly and so easily. And then to be able to flip that, to look at it at risk uh, through the lens of, well, what's possible. If yeah. there's a risk, if there's something that, uh, uh, that we can undertake and, and figure out, that's a very different form of risk taking, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And as I an wonder. entrepreneur, that serves well. Yeah. I mean, related to, you know, the, the way you ski, the way, the way that you mountain bike, it's hard. You know, I remember trying to teach my kids is that if you're trying to get through a pass on a mountain bike, you're not looking at the trail here. You're looking over there yeah. where you're trying to go. Very Skiing so. is the same way. Right. Um, but I, you know, I wonder if that, that natural skepticism comes out of being a, a good scientist. I mean, I think that, right. I mean, and this is what I say in the sciences, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are very few laws. The reason being is because we need to ask questions to figure out if they're going to hold true in different conditions. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I wonder, you know, I think that's one of the things that people that really deeply dive into uh, engineering fields, science fields, they have a natural skepticism for asking those questions about those possibilities. And it, and it's not that they're averse to risk. It's that they think that the reward is worth the investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So my curiosity then yeah. uh, is, is, so here you are, and uh, you going into and starting to play in the space arena. Mm-hmm. Oh, how did you, what, what, did that, what did that look like when you first went into it? And I do know, and I do know this about you, is that you, uh, you came up with this just incredible way of coming at how to make things work in space. It, 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 Connect the dots for me. Well, it's, it's a little backwards than most entrepreneurs. Usually entrepreneurship comes from having a problem fi- and finding a solution for it. This was different. It started from a solution, which is when I left Rocky Flats, I was with another fellow, Daryl, and uh, Daryl Moss, and we came up with this little tube of wax. So copper tube filled with wax. I mean, it's candle wax. 
and we bought these at the local hardware store, McGuckins. Oh, uh, yeah, there's a shout-out to McGuckins. Shout-out to McGuckins. Yeah. McGuckins would want. like to sponsor the True Alignment podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Info at truealignment.com. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Well done, Ken. That, that was good. Yeah, that was really good. So the, there's. Let me guy. repeat that. McGuckins in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. And we're gonna try. We're gonna try our best to drop Deion Sanders prime time at least 20, 20 times today. Uh, yeah, that's good. okay. Well, so uh, you got a copper tube. So copper tube filled with wax, about a half inch. It's about the size of a. Uh, you know, a Sharpie marker looks like that, but it's filled with wax. And the wax that we used melted at a low temperature. You'd put it in a cup of hot water. It would cause the wax to melt. Wax expands 18%. And it would push a piston out very slowly with a lot of force. You could lift uh, 50 pounds with the heat from a cup of water. Wow. And we had come up with this for, a, make for water heaters, but it was so cool you could put, do this experiment. You'd take a coffee cup, you put it in here, and you could lift 50 pounds. And it led to this question of, there's got to be some cool use for this somewhere, someplace. So I just started calling up industries and saying, hey, I, I got this cool thing. And I found that if I just came at it from genuine enthusiasm, almost boyish or, you know, golly, I got this really cool invention. Could you guys use it? that I got attention and people would listen. And um, I talked to the nuclear industries, the, the solar industry, medical industry, and then I called NASA. And I cold called NASA. You know, I just got the phone book. The phone books for those that are under 40. There was this big stack of paper that would show up you. Anyway, oh, so, so I, that's what's now finally I know. Thank yeah, you. that's what that is. Yellow. And we, we'll talk about yellow pages in, see, in number 59. I was going to comment on your youthful curiosity that you still have <laughs> at your age. <laughs> And thank you. Yeah, you're welcome for that. I, I was There's not. The magic. That was, See, I, I, gotta... I blew you a kiss. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I, I just called into the guys. This is serious, and you're laughing. This is this is a number, serious story. Number one, we missed a movie reference that we should have put in earlier with the Martian and your dad and the potatoes. Oh, no, like <laughs> we're coming back to that. All right, well, we'll this bring is, it back. In improv, we call this a circle back. No, this is going to close okay. wonderfully and better than you think. And I'm a, I'm afraid we're going to end up with Mel Brooks Spaceballs at some point. <laughs> oh, I got to tell you, Scott is is just an absolute phenomenal um, improv artist. Uh, yeah, it's true. It, it, Senior, yeah, the ADHD. Yeah, is that what that is? <laughs> That's so, part of it. We had, we had, we had, we had determined part of what? A, we had, <laughs> we had determined a title before we got on the air. But uh, I called, called, Na I called, I called, called NASA. NASA. Might How be you a better title. NASA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you get that, James? No, it's written down. <laughs> okay. So I, I called a fellow, Carl Marchetto, and. Uh, I said, I think you could use these to control temperature on spacecraft. You know, the, the spacecraft gets hot. You could use this little piston to open some window, so to speak. And um, he said, come on out. We got some people that want to talk to you, which floored me. Um, I mean, it floored me that I was going to go to NASA. And I put my little devices in a cardboard box and <laughs> hopped on a plane. And I walked, I walked into uh, JPL, NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Uh -huh. And I am walking next to these people that put things on the planets, you know, like, and yep. seeing that and thinking, I, I can't, this is a dream come true. 
And uh, I met with these guys and I did my little thing with, hey, give me a cup of hot water and, you know, watch what I can do. And they said, um, we're going to Saturn and we need to replace the explosive latches on the telescope covers. And this could do it. And if you were to make these out of spacecraft materials, you know, not copper pipes, um, if you build it, so I think NASA will come. Back to McGuckins. <laughs> so they said they'd help us. Um, and, I, and I drove home from JPL. I'm 29 years old, and I, I come down the hill into Boulder, and I just had this whole flush through my body of, I just maybe had on a platter the opportunity to start a space company. Yeah, well, how the heck did that happen? And then halfway down the hill, it's, you know, nah, you know, this, this, this kind of shit doesn't happen in the real world. And at the bottom, there was this, but why not? I would never, I would never regret not having run this path out. I, I got to run down this path hard. And who knows? And so I started to run down that path hard and we came up with a better name for them. We made them out of shiny materials and took pictures of them and called them the IH5055. And, uh, <laughs> why, why are you laughing? That's a high tech. That is. Yeah. Yeah. HD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, and uh, just sent these things out. And uh, for six months, I would send them out. And people would say, well, I don't need that, but I know somebody who might. And um, I just kept calling. And this is, this is your point, Ken, about entrepreneurs. When we have people say no, we think the smart thing to think is, I just didn't explain this right. You know, it's so cool, I must not have explained it. Different than, oh, I'm not worthy or my product isn't. Yeah, or the and customers just don't get it. Yeah, well, yeah. that works. The customers don't get it, it's okay. You know, and you just go, well, I, next time I'll have to explain it better. Yeah. And so there's an endless optimism to just make phone calls forever. And then a guy said, um, yeah. I, I could use this. I don't have any other way of doing this on a spacecraft. Um, how much are they? Long pause. <laughs> I'll, I'll get right back to you on that, Dick. I've got to do a costing. Because <laughs> I'd never yeah, thought, thought about that. Never thought about that. So I hung up the phone and I called up my friends at JPL and said, you know, holy shit, you won't believe this. You know, somebody wants to buy them. And how much can I sell them for? I said, well, the explosives are about $5,000 a piece, so certainly at least 5000 So I hung up the phone. I picked up the other phone and called Dick and said, Dick, that'll be $16,137 for three of them. Because I figured, you know, yeah. I must have done a precise costing. <laughs> and uh, he said, sure. Where, where do I send the check? <laughs> I ended up leaving probably $30,000 on the table. But I was in... The business. business. I was in business, and then that led to, um, you know, we, since we made paraffin actuators, people said, can you make latches? Said, okay, if you think so. Uh, can you make covers? Well, all right, if you, if you do. Mm -hmm. And then that led to um, actually making motors, electrical motors for spacecraft, which led to building the motors on the Mars rover, which was the one that Matt Damon used to communicate with Earth uh, at the end of the Martian. It does come back. There you go. So when I watched the Martian, had no idea. Front end of it, I'm going, my God, that is my dad. <laughs> right. Technology. <laughs> That's my dad's research saving Matt Damon. And then at the end of the movie, the symmetry 
of holy smokes, that's the heart. I've got my name on that motor that saved his life at the end. It was, it was surreal. It just, it just bookended the whole yeah. story in this beautiful way. So that's a little bit of a monologue of how I got from here to there. But Well, no, I love it. And I wonder, you know, if we, if we stick in, in that kind of, you know, everything in space is done by a community of people. Ab- yes. And, um, you know, so how do you get from <laughs> that day driving down the hill into Boulder and starting this? to having 150 people working for you in this industry? Um, the, 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 the key word to this is um, f- followership. Say more. Um, if people, can I use the A word? Sure. Okay, if people align with where you're going and you, are, you have a set of values and those are values that resonate with the core values of somebody's humanity. Not, you know, we're going to make tons of money, but isn't this fun? You know, fun, isn't this amazing? Can you believe we're honored to be able to build spaceflight hardware? We are kind of a humility. That just resonates with the right kind of people that you want that are going to succeed with you. And it, on top of that, it's just, uh, you know, we didn't suffer fools well. You needed to be able to keep up with the technology. You had to be sharp. And so you look behind you and you start getting a band of people following you saying, I want to work with you too. And, it's, it, and they're following you because they're aligned with you. And then it's just a matter of saying, well, if you're following, come on in, come on in along with us. And then that started happening with the customers. We had customers. We we, we developed this reputation as, have you been out to Starsis? You know, they have, they have a masseuse that everybody gets a five-minute massage on Fridays. And they, they do games every morning. And they tell jokes. And they have, uh, you know, these, these this is, you got to do a contract with these guys. And we just developed this band of people that were, we want to work with you and give you work. I, re- I remember years ago, um Visiting Starsis, because we've known each other for a while, and um, the morning huddle. Yeah, and I I just it was it was just sense of uh, openness and community connectivity. Yeah, is a great word for it, of how uh, and how how great and open the communication was. Well, that authenticity, right? I mean, another A word. This is just something that I hear so clearly here because. So many startups you're, have tried to replicate. Oh, that you're spot on with that word. The, the tools, but they don't mean it. Yeah, you can't you can't throw a can't foosball that. table yeah. into a conference room and say we got culture. Right, and, and you can't. And people try to, you know, hey, look, we got a volleyball net. Yeah. Um, it, I, in, uh, I walk I into incubators like that and go, no, 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 you can't I, just paste that shit that stuff on the wall. I recall walking into a uh, a, a big break room next to a trading room in, in a company and how proud the CEO was that they had a ping pong table, a foosball table. Yep. They had all, you know, coffee machines. They had all of this. And he's saying, look at what we've done and what a great culture. And I asked him why no one was in the room. Yes. Bingo. We were the only people in the room. Yeah. I said, gee, yeah, that, that, that's something. By the way, the last time I was out there, the ping pong table is folded up against the wall. I think the foosball table is <laughs> yeah. gone. I can go to my basement for that version. I'm yeah. just saying. Well, at your age. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to swing that paddle too hard. 
<laughs> Sorry. Thanks a lot. It was right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that is something. So you see me looking up. It's so near and dear to me. It'll bring tears to my eyes if we go too deep into it. Well, it was it. interesting because when yeah. you were talking about the, the alignment piece and the humanity, yeah. your eyes were getting pretty glassy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that's astonishing is that people believe in your vision and will follow you. It's just extraordinary that, you know, you're saying, hey, I think we should take that hill. And people around you say, you're right. Let's, how can I help? I've heard you tell the story of, uh, about waiting to see if it worked. Oh, geez. And that moment where everyone is so, so tied to a shared success. Yeah. Um, this comes back to your comment about uh, it takes a, you know, it takes a village or it takes a group of people, you know, at that point, the, the point that Edgar's talking about, um, we were going to Mars on the Spirit and Opportunity programs, 2003. And we, okay, um, for all those folks that are from JPL, just, you know, that are listening on here, <laughs> um, JPL said, thought they could do the motors on the rovers, and they couldn't. And they were getting to the point that the flight was going to be risked. And uh, they, I got a call from a friend at JPL that said, Scott, just got out of a meeting. Um, we're going to miss our launch date unless you guys make the motors. You're going to get a call tomorrow from us. So you can start working on them now? No, they just <laughs> said, um, so you might want to think of what you charge because cost <clears throat> is no object. And so the next day we got a call from JPL saying, hey, could you help us out? So we stepped up and we, we did 56 motors for him, more than I think anybody's ever done for JPL on a program. And when they were coming into land, we all went to the Holiday Inn to watch the landing. And this is just a CNN stream. And it was just the mission control room. And we had about 30 of our devices that had to work for there to be the beep that said it was alive. Any one of them didn't. And so if any one of those 150 people didn't do their job, the beep wouldn't go. It would have changed our future. And it would have changed the future and trajectory of the, of the program. Of the aerospace program, of the NASA program to Mars, yeah. which is the cornerstone. Yeah. It would have completely changed it. And um, the feed went dead for about five minutes. I remember. Do you remember this? I do. Oh, I do as well. holy smokes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what happened is... Then the feed comes back on, and Pete Thysinger, who is the program manager of the mm -hmm. mission, he has the biggest smile on his face, and he's in front of 100 cameras. And he had a speech prepared, the one he thought he would give, which is, well, we didn't make it, but space is hard. I mean, he had that speech. Instead, he said, we are on the surface of Mars. And he shakes his hands. Everybody applauds. His next words were, I was in a parking lot, at a company in Boulder, Colorado, walking in and realizing if these guys don't do our job, we aren't going to Mars. And they were talking about our company. Wow. And you can imagine 150 people, you know, hooting and hollering. And then he goes on to say, there's plenty more companies that did. My son was there. He was 11. Um, I drove home that night. I went into the study tucked my son into bed and it was about 10 years from when it started the company driving down this hill thinking you know maybe now 
I'm on Mars. And I, I, I opened up the computer and I, I took a look at the, the, and the first pictures from Mars were back. <laughs> and I'm looking at Mars, something that I helped do. And then there's a little blob. <laughs> there's a little blob in the middle of the hardware you could see. And I zoomed in and it was our logo on the first picture from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Imagine what it was like. You know, imagine yeah. you're sitting there. Um, went in the next morning, told the company, and uh, they, and everybody's astonished except one guy in the back. He raises his hand, and says, "Oh, I know." His name was um, Kyle Hickey. Everybody turned around. What, what, what do you mean? Well, yeah, two years ago, I you know was designing the part, and I had to put on the print where the logo should go. So I got on the NASA website and saw where the camera was going to point. And figured <laughs> that's where I put the logo. So yeah, you know, I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know and so best case of product placement ever ever, <laughs> ever. Yeah. so edgar we need to look up this person for true alignment <laughs> so, well to your point about alignment that was because the company was so aligned with the mission that somebody wanted to give back to the company and give a gift to the company because the company had given so much to them yeah and it, it's another manifestation of followership and alignment with values. There's a, there's a bunch of ownership thinking in there. Yes, um, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so what an amazing story. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm puzzled because I'm trying to think of, I mean, this is the root of our alignment work. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and, and we never talk about it as followership, but it really is when you get alignment in the organization, that takes place. I mean, and you, and Scott, you kind of got it, you, you created it and it, and it led to alignment. Yeah. And most of the organizations we're working with are trying to find alignment. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah. that's really um, where our work comes in, but I'm, I'm hard pressed right now. I'm hard pressed right now to think of organizations outside of the nonprofit space that just have, or, or true service industries that just have that, that sense of mission yeah. Um, right. I mean, it, I, I think our listeners will be excited to hear that you're talking in the 2000s. Yeah. You're not, you're not talking in the 1950s or 60s. No. Yeah. No. It, it's, um, th- that's been an interesting puzzle for me of, I had the advantage of growing the company and the alignment came with the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, different thing. If, you've, if you're stepping into a company or you're, you're looking at a company and, and working to, recreate that alignment or bring that, bring that into a company. So you, you early on, because you mentioned in in the story of how you met Edgar was at a, was at a Vistage talk. So so you're growing this company. You're, you're looking for a set of peers to, um, to help you while you're there with Starsis. You, you run into Edgar and, and I forget the word you used when we, before we were on the air. (laughs) Choice. (laughs) You have the power of choice in the moment, Ken. <laughs> but but there was something um, that really resonated, and, and, yeah. and you brought Edgar in the Starsis to as you were doing that growth, right? I, yeah, I, I did, and I didn't expect to. I I don't remember how Edgar connected with me. You know, you get as a as a leader of a company, you get people saying, "Hey, I can help you do this." Hey, I'll do. You know, what do you need? I can. You know, everybody knocks at the door, and. 
I thought walking into my office when I can't remember where you were sitting because it was such a flashbulb moment for me because so much pivoted when we met. I, it probably took only 10 minutes before I realized how bonafide this guy was that this is a whole (laughs) <laughs> you should see Ken's the faces. Like you crazy. should see the faces. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on, Edgar, let me run with it. <laughs> um, there, Sorry. When, I found that when you when you are with somebody that's bonafide, that they're the real deal, they're not just the person that's saying it, it leaks out of them in their words. It, it shows up not in what they're saying, but in all the other stuff that sort of leaks out. And it was probably 10 minutes before I realized this was something very different. This is something I need to be involved in. So Edgar facilitated and coordinated a group of eight CEOs. I think it was eight or 10. We'd get together once a month. And most of it is he let us, he just let us run around, hey, I've got this problem. What do you guys think? And there's invariably somebody around the table that's had to deal with that, almost always. But then, you know, the, the sort of the, the coding on it all was Edgar bringing this, this process of, um, I don't think it was called alignment so much then as it was the idea of creating these legendary corporate cultures that uh, people would just do anything to be a part of and that's i think what we resonated on is yeah the aligned yeah creating aligned cultures that's what we were aligned in yeah aligned cultures yeah so a movie reference um oh this is different james you got this edgar's bringing the movie references (laughs) love actually i'm honored i'm honored Ah, <laughs> thank you uh, so so much. The um, the holiday movie season should start soon. I, so. Yeah, go, yeah, I, and I'm going back to something. The uh, the the, uh, the logo on the rover. Yeah, and somebody thinking of that in advance. And they, so we talk about how alignment leads to innovation. Yeah, I mean that's innovative thinking. Yeah, that's that's creativity and and the playful imagination. Yeah, that's that's looking out into the future in that way. That's just. Um, I, it's, uh, that's just wonderful to think, to know that, that that's how it played yeah. out and, and to see it that way. Absolutely amazing. It triggered a memory of a story I've never shared um, of something that was my first instant of that. Um, back when the whole idea of the web was, was new. I mean, we had no idea what that was, the idea Before of the website. Darn. It was... <laughs> Yeah, well, it was, uh, you know, this mystery. (laughs) You are a lot of AIDS jokes going on here today. (laughs) It was way back when, before anybody even thought of it. And then at some point we looked up and saw... Before Al Gore. Yeah, yeah, before he invented it all. (laughs) We realized we needed to get the domain name starsis.com. And then we searched Uh. for it and somebody had already taken it. It's like, ah, crap. And then we looked for where they lived and they lived in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, Okay, and then we looked at their name. It was Mark Richardson, who's one of our technicians. And <laughs> so I said, yo, Mark, what's this with the domain name? I said, ah, about a year and a half ago, I figured you needed it someday, so I grabbed it. Oh, so, God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was when we were, you know, 10 people. Wow. I, I thought you were going to have a Google situation. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, United, yeah, there's a bunch, of, yeah, where all of a sudden you have to, pay a fortune for united.com or yeah. whatever it might be. You know, I've, I've worked in organizations. I've been that, per, I've been your Mark Richardson in, in, in corporations yes. yeah. where you do something never occurs to you not to do it. Yeah. You just do it. And then somebody looks at you and said, why did you do that? And it's just, 
because we we had to, we needed to. This is what it's what you do. It's what you do. Yeah, it's it's what you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, how you manufacture that? I, and, and you know, we started we started this podcast out of out of the great resignation, which we call the great alignment. People in search of yeah, they're in search of those moments where they know internally that they just do it. Yeah. Um, and they don't do it because somebody's watching. They don't do it because they're going to get a reward. They just do it because they know they're supposed to do it. It goes back to, a, although it's kind of a deep way of looking at it, I think it goes back to humanity. I mean, it really goes to, you know, it's what you do when you're in a group of people, when you're in a tribe or you're in a pack or, you know, it's just what you do um, mm-hmm. to further the, that, that community, that tribe. And, you know, that's an interesting word, tribe, that kind of fits into this. Um, but there's, that's another word that sort of resonates in what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. To your point about how you bring it to an organization, you know, I'm talking about a company that's 150 people at, at its high end. I'm going to, a lesson I learned from a fellow that's a, good, that's a good friend, his name's Art Stevenson, and he was appointed the head of the Marshall Space Flight Center. And we'd known each other for a while, and uh, we went to lunch after he was at Marshall. I was down there. I don't know how many people he has working for him, you know, 5,000, something like that. And he said, I had this, this, this challenge. I'm brand new. How do I connect with and create a community with 5,000 people that work for me? He said, the best thing that ever happened to me is I screwed up big time in one of my first big decisions. I made a big decision as a leader that had just come in and it was totally wrong. And within two weeks, it was clear that that was the wrong thing to do. I'm so thankful for that because it gave me a chance to stand in front of 5,000 people and said, I was wrong. I made the wrong decision here. I'm going to make good on it. Here's what we're going to do. And in that moment, he was sharing his realness. You know, we all make mistakes. And that was a moment of alignment that he managed to do in a step function through this one event. And to that, boy, as a leader, do we learn, have an opportunity to learn from when we really screw up as a leader. There is so much there to connect the company when you can mea culpa Stand in yeah, front it's of the that company. connection, that connection at a deep level of who we are as human yeah. beings. Both, and that's yeah. so interesting because so much of what we try and do is, and attempt to do is uh, see one another and each other's successes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so often the fear and the envy uh, that, that goes with that um, you know, gets in the way. It, it, it can so easily get in the way when we're always playing the hierarchical game. But what, there's a, such a leveling, a deep leveling effect and a truth, a truth in, in a shared sense of humanity that comes from failure or making mistakes and making errors. And, um, yeah, that's just a, a wonderful example of that. Well, and, and leaning into them, right? I mean, I think that's the, right, the lore around uh, uh, Satya at Microsoft Right. I mean, that they had lost their culture of innovation yep. because they're, they were afraid of being wrong. Yes. And it wasn't until he came out and said, you know, he I did was, his own version of a mea culpa yeah. in a very I, public way. And I was out there. I was out there before that transition. And I have to tell you, I, I was asked by someone at Microsoft um, 
what I thought uh, in observing their employees. And all I had to do was point out the window and say, look at those people that are walking along the sidewalk. Describe that. Describe them for me. Describe oh, them. Oh, interesting. And uh, they just said, what? they look down. Sullen. They're, they're, yeah. Yeah. And oh. I said, well, there you go. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah. But that, cro- you know, I got to wonder. So, so different from what you're describing, you know, star system overall. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there were times when, you know, it, was, it, it got tough. Yeah. Or things didn't work the way yeah. you wanted them to. But just that understanding of that leveling effect and all working towards something together. Yeah. Now and we, how it elevates emotionally. Just so I understand, because I think that's a really good point you're making about leveling. It sounds like what you're saying is that you're getting rid of hierarchy and, and just... Pr- you're always going to have you're always going to have hierarchy. It's natural yeah. to us as human beings. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's just an effect that says regardless of our hierarchy, hierarchy or our place in the organization, we're actually all the same yeah. as people. Yeah. And we all have the same wants, needs, desires. And um, having that sense of connectivity is priceless. Yeah. So... Um, you know, Scott, I have this weird and winding background and, and part of, you know, a big chunk of my career was working in the educational, well, I mean, I'm still here at an educational institution, but helping teachers uh, become better teachers. And and I've mm-hmm. come to learn in, in my career that there are, there's two foundations, I think, that make somebody a really fantastic teacher. The first one is being able to see through the eyes of some other human being. Understand. The second one is when things don't go well amongst the first questions is what could I have done differently? Understand. And, and I think, you know, I'm huh. hearing, I'm hearing a lot of this in the leveling oh conversation because I think, I think what happens in many organizations is people lose sight of self because the expectations of somebody else are upon them. Yeah. And then they're in constant fear of not fulfilling others' expectations. That happens in every relationship. Every relationship. Partnerships and ultimately relationship to ourselves. Yeah. And permission to, to, to open up that, that and, and walk through that door of saying, what are my choices and what, what could I, and what can I learn? What can I do differently? So, but I think that's the key, Edgar, is uh-huh. that like you even use the words, what me and I. Yeah. So that second yeah. part where if, if you, you can look through the lens and understand that others have expectations on us. But if you'd never return to the I and the me and you always keep it as well, they, yeah, I, I think that's part yeah. of the teaming culture issue with, with a lot of folks. Very true. Yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it that by listening to the language, you can get a sense. If there's a lot of they, you know, it's their fault. You know, yeah. if they only would have done this. Yeah. The idea, um, I'm going to quote someone, um, and I, Jimmy Carter, and our words speak what is in our hearts. Yes. And let others see what's in our souls. Say that again about the second half, and let the words, ah, so the words. Let s- others see what's in your heart. And let it, yeah. And, and, and see what's in our souls. Yeah. You, that comment about a teacher, um, it's okay if I share something from just a couple days ago. Absolutely. Relevant to it. A very good friend of mine, somebody actually, what I love her is somebody that, you know, is a f- somebody that I recently met that's a very good friend, which is kind of a nice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she was talking about how she was challenged in school with reading and about six years old. And um, she would be called on, 
but he'd look at her, and because of the way she, that she processed things, she wasn't able to do this task. She just wasn't able to. Her brain wasn't wired to be able to. And the teacher went to, something's wrong with you, and started screaming at her about what is wrong with you that you can't repeat back what I'm telling you to do, and shamed her, and then brought the principal in to do the same thing. And, uh, boy, that takes, that, that leaves a lot to I, uh, kind of work through. It's, so the, it's the opposite of what you're saying. Yeah, I got to tell you, you just hit my, hit my, my depth. Uh, yeah. As an immigrant in the United States, my first experiences in school where I did not know English. Yeah. I, when, when I didn't follow the teacher's instructions, she made me stand in a corner and face the wall. Yeah. And I had no idea. And she actually took me by my shoulders, led me to, because I didn't understand her telling me to go stand in the corner. She oh. shamed me. She walked me to the corner. Oh, jeez. Made me face the wall. And she did this repetitively, and she usually did it when it was time for music. The one uh, time where I could participate uh, without fear, where I could just take a stick and hit a block of wood and join in with everyone else, she chose that moment to separate me and disconnect me. And so this is powerful, powerful, powerful. Yeah. And just to understand and interpret that, that we carry those moments with us in life. We all have those moments in one shape, form, or another. Unfortunately, in our adult lives, those same kinds of situations play out in different ways, in different contexts, yeah. dis different storylines with different characters and conflict. Yet we, we still, yeah, it's, it, it just amazes me. And you, you want to break down alignment or community? There you go. Yeah, you know, there you just go. Just in an instant. Yeah. I, you know, my big question is, right, I mean, that's, that's, our, that's our social construct, right? I mean, and we've done, uh, <laughs> somebody was looking through the list of the, list of the podcast names and somebody picked up on the one of, uh, you know, what the hell's wrong with Elon Musk that we did, you know, way before he really went oh, off the Before rails. he went, yeah. yeah when it was counterculture to say yes, such exactly. a thing. Um, <laughs> we were ahead of our time on that one. But, yeah. um, you know, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about the social construct in, in this, this idea of othering, right? I mean, and I, whatever you want to do, do it with religion, do it with politics. There's a perceived safety in that, that act of othering, mm. uh. right? And I, and I think if we were really to, to bring this out into the question of, you know, what is it, what is it about me that I want to, tr to try and other somebody, right? I mean, I think, you, yeah. Scott, you mentioned power er, earlier on yeah. in our conversation. And, you know, I think that's, that's such a, it's such a thing um, in any organization, in any relationship, um, you know, I think it, it moves a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and the perception, I just want to jump in here because the perceptions of power are remarkable. How much it is that we weigh into it because power is like truth. It's actually quite delicate and it's easy to bust. It's just easy to screw up with it. It really is. Ah. And how we listen to someone, how we honor someone's word. We need to recognize the, the delicacy of truth. Well, and that maybe leads to why you other is there is one way to preserve power is through having lots of money or a structure that uh, 
is set up so that you are in charge and you can fire anybody. Like a culture. Like a culture, culture of power, culture of hierarchy, culture of domination. And then it serves you to other people because that preserves this artifice of power. The vulnerability that comes from not othering but weaning, you just rely on who you are because you're now the power just is, it's not artifice. It's, it's just true. Well, who's the best one to lead in this particular situation? Oh, you are, or you are. Well, see, that, that it's the expertise culture coming in. Scott, I, I have a question for you. And yeah. this was just last night, and maybe you can, and from your, from your Starsis experience. So I teach a marketing strategy class here at the university. Yeah. And um, um, we're, I'm upfront with it, saying we're trying to teach you the market or the future needs. Understand. Um, right? Because almost everybody that comes into that class who's in our MBA program thinks that marketing is, is uh, promotion and advertising. Understand. Um, I do understand. That's a very going. common misconception of what marketing is. Yeah. And as we talk about marketing strategy, you know, we talk about some systems to, uh, some systems based approach. So, you know, you partner across inside the organization and externally outside the organization. Um, and, and the bottom line that we use of, of marketing is it's a problem-based marketing. You mm -hmm. do it not to product push. Understand. But rather to solve a problem. Yes. And, and we ask that they consider how to create value for the business, value for the customer, and value for society simultaneously. Understand. Yep. So that's why I would say it's for the future because most people haven't thought of marketing, with, especially with that society in there. Yes. So last night, um, curious students were on our Zoom meeting last evening. And, uh, and, and, and two of my students say to me, can I, I get it. I, I actually agree with it. And in my organization, cause I was pushing them to say the value that, that the marketing creates to solve this problem for your business mm -hmm. is beyond the revenue. Yes. I understand. And, and that was the hardest thing. Cause if I said to them, you know, revenue will come. But if you just drive towards revenue, this is always our good, good and less good revenue decisions. Yeah. I um, mean, I actually gave them uh, the conversation from uh, uh, Lisa Rosetto about uh -huh. about walking away from an agreement with Target, right? Um, with her organization, but um, you know that's one thing that I heard clearly in your conversation about Starsis was if we build this tribe, right, we'll get revenue. Yes. Like I never once heard you say that I'm focused on driving revenue first. No, it was, it, um, it was never about driving revenue. It was about driving. We were interested in growth and we, I was interested in growth from having more people to be part of this tribe. I wanted more people involved in the tribe, um, because we'd be doing more good. We'd be making, you know, differences in families and making differences and going to space and exploring. And revenues go along with that. And revenue is great for a whole bunch of reasons. The other piece that we had in there that people don't pay a lot of attention to is we were very focused on profit. And more so than most companies, space companies, because that gave us the freedom to be able to not be handcuffed. We didn't have to raise money. We didn't have to change our culture. We were eating what, you know, eating what we killed. Mm -hmm. And so we had a very strong profit culture, 
where the game became the game. And it was a game every month. How did we do? Did we make 10? Did we make 12? And that's where um, a lot of rewards came in, in terms of uh, being able to, we did profit sharing and some other things. But within this, isn't this fun? Let's have, you know, grow this to have as much fun and make as much of a difference and have as much love as possible. You don't want to make profit a dirty word in there. No, I, I think yeah. this was the challenge that I was having is, you know, that is not an anti-profit not at all conversation. Yes. But on the contrary, like if you get yeah. these things and I, you know, I think in, 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 in how the public considers business, like we, I mean, in business schools, we're, we're part of the problem here. Because we teach people about the Apples and the Microsofts and the Googles. Yes. We teach these fast, uber exponential growth yeah. businesses as, as the business kind of backbone of our education. And I think, th I think that's where we've gotten into a little bit of trouble. Because, you know, what we're saying is there's a lot yeah. of shortcutting. There's a lot of turnover. There's, there's a lot of need for alignment that gets masked because of sheer profit. At, and at sheer profit, sheer revenue. Yes. I think what I'm hearing differently here from you, Scott, is the idea that uh, the profit and part of the game and how did we do and the investment in, in the tribe and growing, the, and growing yeah. the business. And from that perspective is it comes back to then that it's purpose and mission driven. Yeah. And it's yes, looking absolutely. forward and... It's a flywheel effect yep. instead of the end. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of times what you see people going into business for is for the end, build and sell or whatever it happens yeah. to be, which can can really take you uh, to a lot of forms of misalignment. Yeah. There's two points that you that you trigger that I think are worth sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one is that when you talk about business schools, that's it was a big aha for me uh, that, of course, the focus is going to be how do I end up with... 10 time return for investors in three years, <laughs> you know, how do I pull that off? And I've ridden that ride. I've ridden that wave and there would be much good that would come from a university, an MBA focus. That's about what you're talking about, which is, yeah, there's that, but that's not why a lot of us got into business and that can be hugely counterproductive, you know, that ramp to maybe what we really want to do, you know, at the risk of offending some big people here, you know, that old do no evil stuff from way back when, <laughs> remember that phrase? Rule number one, do no harm. Do no, well, and do no evil, which was yeah. uh, Google or Facebook? Yeah. Well, Facebook it was. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just pause <laughs> yeah. a moment of silence for the way Facebook was. Uh. Okay. We're back. Yeah, no, that's actually the Google tagline. Sorry. But you're right. I mean, and, and that's the, uh, listen, there's so much deep conversation in what they've done to, right? Is there just this week facing the anti-monopoly um, conversation? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> uh, I, actually, I do want to, yeah, I'm going to interrupt just for a sec. Please. We did recognize when we were at about $6 million dollars, that growth was getting in the way of the culture. And so we got in front of the company and said, we're going to dial it down. We're going to stay level for a while. We're going to stay at 6 million in order to preserve our culture. And we consciously said no to some customers. I mean, nobody does this, but we did because we were afraid we were losing the magic. And two things came of that that were lessons learned. 
One is we got rid of the opportunities for growth for people. So you're, you're becoming a high-end engineer. Right. There's no room for you to become a manager or whatever it might be. And that was a real problem. And so we started dialing it back up. And once you turn off the engine, it's really hard <laughs> to turn it back on. Yeah, yeah. It's like having to restart a cold car. And uh, I, I learned a lot through that. Yeah, no doubt. It's just within that conversation well, it, about it, growth. The, the, uh, just the tension between stop and go Yeah, is just um, so often we forget all about what's all the possibilities in the middle. Yeah. Yes. And just like my yeah. way versus your way in a relationship of what you want yeah. and what I want. And yeah. for, for getting our needs met, we've got to find what that space is, yeah. where that reciprocity exists. And reciprocity shows up and mutual benefit shows up in so many different ways. And, and all the host of relationships that exist in our lives. Yeah. And to, to be conscious of that. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good one. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really good one. It is. And so, I think, Edgar, to bring in, you know, bring all those ands into the conversation. Yeah, like, ends. let's do culture and, right? Yeah. I mean, and mm. I think that is the, um, I think many organizations are not, they're not accustomed to being asked the ands. Yeah, and it's so easy to forget about mutual benefit because we get so wound up in our own shit all the time. Well, this is the this is where design uh, thinking is such a wonderful tool, right? I mean, it is, put, yeah. put it to exactly. the people and let's figure it out. Yeah. Um, I have to say, Scott, when you said that, you know, w w wouldn't it be great if, if MBA programs do this? My wife and I just started watching uh, Welcome to Wrexham. I do not know it. Okay, so have, have you watched? I, I haven't. I'm familiar. Oh, please watch. I mean, yeah. we, we, are, we are hooked. We are hooked. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Wrexham is the, is the documentary. He easily. He's like definitely with, like hungry uh, fish. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds and Tom McElhenney bought the Wrexham Football Club in Wales. Oh, that just yeah. gave me goosebumps. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, so it's like Ted Lasso, but... You know, well, and it's been real, but yeah. the documentary is all about the people in the community because that football club is a tribe in that community. Yeah. I mean, and yep. they are they're doing cancer stories of somebody and, and, you know, um, somebody who's lost a husband and they're just doing all these stories in the community and what the, what the football club means to them. Yeah. And, and I just, I, I think oh. about that, but, um, I, I bring that up only because, the cheesiness of the documentary is that the people from the football club do the commercials for the sponsors. <laughs> and I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Oh, oh, oh man. <laughs> and I, right so, there, when you said that MBA that. program should do yeah. that, I wanted to say. There it is. The Regis MBA. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was the time right there. there it is. <laughs> so, um, so we've got a couple of minutes left. Okay. Uh, so let me uh, ask you um, a question. With with all your experiences and everything you do that you've uh, ex that you've done and accomplished, uh, yeah. and by the way, congratulations when you came in. You mentioned that you got a book deal yesterday. Yes, yeah, so it's so just not to plug it, but there's going to be a book coming it. out. It's called <laughs> Adventures of a Space Entrepreneur. It's going to be written by Scott Tibbetts. It'll be available in four months and. Uh, <laughs> Love contact uh, Congratulations. this group. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll look for it definitely. And of course, you know, I got to make the the obvious request. Um, I'll await my signed copy. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so my question is this: If there's um, something that we ought to all be looking for and anticipating, um, in as you gaze into the future of space exploration, what is it? Mm. I think there's going to be some things coming uh, around Mars. 
We, it's so this is just, a, I'm going to be a little heretical here if that's okay. Yeah. Personally, I think that Mars is kind of like going to the Sahara Desert, but without air, you know, so that I don't think people will go there and say, Yahoo, I want to stay here for another 10 years. But I think we will have weekends some, enough. Yeah, I think a weekend is probably enough. I think we'll have some one-way trips to Mars. Uh-huh. I think what's going to come is people are going to recognize. I'm going to make up numbers here. It costs two billion dollars to go to Mars. It costs fifty billion dollars to come back because of the orbital dynamics. And we're going to see some things where there's a big aha, which are people going to Mars on a one-way journey. You know, I've got terminal, you know, terminal disease, but I'm a scientist. Yeah. I want to push things forward. The Not ultimate bucket list. Yeah, yeah. Not too much different than the way things were back when people figured if they're going to go exploring the new world, odds are they wouldn't make it back. So I think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see that certainly in our lifetime. I think we'll see it in the next 10 years. We might see it in our country from the private side of things. Uh, we certainly yeah. could see uh-huh. it from China. Yeah, It would make it be a fascinating puzzle to China announces they're going to go to Mars in two years. They're just not going to bring anybody back. What would the U.S. do? How would we react to that? <laughs> all right, right. And, and he would go to all the moral and yeah, know, it's, fa- it's a fascinating gets thing. Gets into a really interesting dialogue. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is that um, human exploration, the need for it's going to lessen because the the virtual, the ability to have virtual presence. Why are we sending somebody there? We can go to Europa, and the only thing that keeps it from being a hundred percent experience is the time lags. Mm-hmm. You you reach for something and it takes 10 minutes for your avatar to reach for something. So I think that's going to change, that we're all going to get to explore space from virtual reality. It's going to dampen um, the piece about uh, having to actually be there. The excitement and the thrill. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think exploration is going to shift from humans having to be there to less expensive ways of doing it. Those are probably two of the, two of the big ones, I think. That's what I'm curious, yeah. yeah. They're a little, a little heretical, but... <clears throat> Wow, we just did an NPR moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I started yeah, to. Yeah, I that. could see it. You heard that, right? I could see can it. I, can I add one more to that? Yeah. Um, Please. Yeah. Boy, NASA is an expensive way to get from here to there. Um, you know, 10 times more, 20 times more. The Artemis mission, which we're going to land on. You know, we're going to get people back to the moon. Um, we're going to wonder why. And uh, we're going to have spent a whole bunch of money to get there. And uh, private space can do it for more than one, less than one-tenth of that. And it's, that balance is going to shift just because as a country we can't afford it. And as private enterprise we can. And that whole, that whole oh, thing is going to flip. Yeah, I mean, our, our system, at least ours, is you know, we're in a global business society. Yep. Eh? So, you know, <laughs> the way things are or working or um, that verifies that. Yeah. And, um, and then the other piece of it, it just simply says that um, the dynamic of curiosity yeah. right? and where, where the curiosity resides is where, is where the innovation is going to get stirred. Yeah. And there it is. Yeah. Cause it's curiosity is the spoon that stirs innovation. Yeah. That should be on a coffee cup. Or a shirt, t-shirt. Or a t-shirt. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. It'll be or available tattoo. in a couple of weeks yeah. on our website, info. TrueAlignment.com. TrueAlignment.com. How much time do we have? I'm just kind of curious. Because I've got something I want to squeeze in that's a little nonlinear, but not too much. Yeah, Let's squeeze it. Let's squeeze it. Okay. It, it goes back to something about 20 minutes ago. 
which is we were talking about how you bring alignment into an organization mm-hmm. that's already there. If you're a leader and you're coming in, there are some hacks. There's there's things that are, you know, they're just organic and, you, you, you know, you can't, I mean, you certainly can't bring in a foosball table. But there are some hacks that you can use. And these were things that worked for us that were mechanical but created a real connection between people. Um, one of them was a game we played called Efforts and Blunders. Mm-hmm. So once a month, everybody would get together and vote for who had the biggest screw-up in the company and who had the biggest achievement. And they both got the same prize. So those were mm-hmm. both honored at the same level. And whoever got, I mean, it was a big deal. No, I screwed up more than you did. No, I screwed up more than you did. Now, this is within a professional context of making spaceflight hardware where things can't <laughs> fail. Right. But those things do marry because in any organization, you've got to learn from and accept the screw-ups to be able to be just like we do in our lives. So this was saying to the company, fail, learn from, but fail. So we treated both of them just as important, applauded just as hard, and at the end, we would pick one from each category, and then they got an Airbnb for the husband and the wife and the family for a weekend, or a hot air balloon ride. Now, that's a pretty good reward. It made the game real, but it also was rewarding the family, not the individual. It was, we wanted the the kids to be saying, Dad, don't ever leave that company. See, and that's something from that's something from the the history of you know the manufacturing organizations. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we'll walk out the door today, yeah. figure out if UAW went on strike. Yes, but the UAW was a wonderful organization where the families the were families part were, of, of of the companies. Yeah, it was. I, I think it's important to recognize the extended community or s- that system that everyone is a part of. And so from a system standpoint, they're a member of a, a tribe, an organization, and it, it extends into other aspects of their lives. And that it's important to recognize it, to honor mm-hmm. it, to just simply say that that's, that's a part of who we are. Part of humanity. Part yeah. Of human Again, is. it's that human connectivity. Comes back to that thing that Art did. Art, you know, when he said, I screwed up. Yeah. You know, the, the mea culpa. When I, I was recruited to come to this business school and I asked the, the, the then dean, I said, I need to know how you feel about failure. And uh, you, yeah. you asked me to come start an innovation center. Like, and your answer is going to determine if I'm <laughs> choose, coming. <laughs> choose carefully. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, did I ever share this with you, Edgar? And, you know, because I, I mean, I wanted to build this design studio. Right. Specifically yeah. because one of the things that I wanted to do was make failure kind of normal. Because in design thinking, you prototype with the intent to break. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that was okay. It's really interesting too, how, how this is, um, during the day when you come in here, how much of a magnet this, this space that we're sitting in right now has become. It's a great tribute to you and and what you've done. Thanks. So Scott, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Tequila. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Um, yeah, just uh, bottom just, of the heart. Thank you very much. Oh for, gosh, we for could being go for hours. I, I'm learning a lot from this. <laughs> so I really, yeah. yeah. What a what a that's what an honor. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Pleasure having you with us, Scotty Tibbetts, serial <laughs> space entrepreneur, <laughs> uh, genius. Uh, just wonderful to have you with us. 
Um, you can learn more about them at scotttibbets.com. Yep. Uh, okay, so a reference and for... Book. None of you are old enough for this, but you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a reference, a cartoon reference. Scott Tibbets, super genius. I like how that sounds. Ring any bells? Chuck Jones, Warner Brothers. Mm-mm. Wild E. Coyote, oh. super genius. <laughs> oh, I like how good that call. Nice one. Before your time. No, no, we all know the Looney Tunes. Come on. <laughs> and if we, yeah, it's something that we actually need to introduce our children to. Yeah? <laughs> yes, yes, we should. Keep it going. So as a reminder, questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all are welcome. Uh, info at truealignment.com is always uh, we will respond as timely as possible. Um, again, Scott Tibbetts, thank you so, so much. Thanks so much. And thank you. if you're thank out you, there Scott. listening, uh, look out for his book in four months. It'll be coming out. I'm yep. sure it's going to be available pre-sale on Amazon soon. Yep. And uh, please look for it. And, uh, and I think that's it. So I think we'll wrap up from there. Yes. And as always, I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Have a great day. And live aligned. Thank you. Thank you.